In this episode, Wolfgang Bauer of Kobold Press and Alex Jurabic with Cherry Pick Games, plus con news. Roll the dice. Hey, nerds! It's Geeks of Cascadia. Geeks of Cascadia. Geeks of Cascadia. Exclusive tabletop game podcast for the uh, Pacific Northwest. All levels of gamers. Analog gaming. Tabletop news. Stupid, mindless, bad. There will definitely be some bet. That's probably our best. Lot that, that's, 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 our, that's our best feature. You are listening to the Geeks of Cascadia podcast featuring Steve Hobbs, Paul Anderson, and Joe Costa. This podcast is brought to you by OrcaCon. This section of the podcast is brought to you by Around the Table, Linwood's premier game store and hangout for game lovers of all ages. Buy a game, play one of ours, or join us for a drink. Whichever you choose, you'll have a great time. Around the Table Game Pub. Now back to our show. Hey, geeks. It's episode two. Yay! Yay! We made it to two. Let's start off with, we'll go straight into con news. We have a very long episode, and we apologize. We usually try to keep it to around 60 minutes, but we got Wolfgang Bauer. Mm Mm-hmm. Who I totally nerded, nerded over. God, he was great. I mean, so guys, awesome. Steve's like hugging his D&D uh, module, like talking like, hey, hey, right. hey, mister. And we're trying to figure out how we get him again, but uh, there's now a restraining order on me, so I'm not sure we're going to have to I told you not to kiss him. I... Um, yeah. And then Alex Jarabic will be next with Cherry Pick Games. Uh, very interesting interview. We had him on last time, and of course, we put the .5 episode up. So with that, let's go into con news. Paul, what do you got for conventions uh, coming up? Coming up quick is Dragonflight. That is at the Bellevue Hilton, August 25th through 27th. We talked to Amy. Rooms are filling up, so you probably want to get that room booked. And if you're not registered, register, because I think prices are also going up. And games, game signups just went live at Tabletop Events, tabletop.events. So if there's particular mm-hmm. games you want to get in on, you probably want to get registered and get your, your game reserved. Yes, uh, and I forgot, which which hotel were they in? Um, Bellevue Hilton. Bellevue Hilton. All right, Costasaurus. Awesome. And so then the next event we got going is Geek Girl Con. So the passes are actually now available for Geek Girl Con 2017. And it's actually on a Saturday and Sunday weekend. And that'll be September 30th and October 1st. So they're, um, the, it's important to keep in mind they're not sold at the door. So you cannot buy passes at the door. you got to get them online. You can get a one-day pass. Currently, looks like they still got their early bird going till August 31st, which is $30 for one-day pass, $45 for a two-day pass. Kids, $10, and kids is 6 to 12, and then any kids under 5 is free. And that will be in Seattle at, I believe, the Seattle Convention Center slash Conference Center. Sounds fun. You're going to that, right? Yes, I will be going to both days. Fantastic. And also our sponsor, OrcaCon. We love OrcaCon. We love OrcaCon. That's our thing. <laughs> Don't forget that's January 12th through 14th, 2018. And you can register right now if you want to. Mm-hmm. By the mm-hmm. time you hear my voice, rooms should be available to reserve. And as at the brand new remodeled Delta by Marriott, same place, new name, much nicer. We really need you to get those rooms. Get those rooms. Yes, please. Now, uh, going into tabletop gaming news, you know, we love to talk about great things that happen, new games. Unfortunately, we got some sad news um, in uh, tabletop gaming industry, and it is Geek Chic. Geek Chic went out of business on June 13th. All of a sudden, they uh, they put out a release. In fact, I'm going to read to you. It is with great sadness that I must announce Geek Chic has ceased operations. Despite heroic efforts by many, this outcome is out of our hands. While I am certain there are many outstanding questions, we are currently limited 
and our ability to respond. The website will be updated with appropriate contact information and procedures as they become available. I am forever indebted to those who joined us on this adventure, and I am absolutely gutted about its end, Robert Gifford. And I will tell you, as someone who has personally met Robert and Brenda, Paul and I actually toured their facility. Yeah, so they're, they're, so, they're so nice, and it's such a great organization. It's really sad. I mean, those employees I've talked to, it was like, I tell you, it's like working in the Santa, walking into Santa's workshop. Yeah. Right. They're all happy, and, but they're building furniture and yeah. great furniture. Yeah. And that the brand name, everyone knew about Geek Chic. You know what's sad too is not only was it big kind of in tabletop gaming society or our culture is the fact that it was local. It was a local company. Snohomish yeah. County, just yeah. as OrcaCon is, yeah. And they they participate in OrcaCon, and I know there's a lot of rumors out there. There's rumors about, you know, possibly they bought a game company that had a little bit of liability. Perhaps they overextended. Perhaps it's this and that. Here's the thing, folks. You don't know. We don't know. I think we just should be a little... We'll take this moment to be sad, I think. This yes. is, I'm taking this moment to be sad and hoping somehow mm. that Robert and Brenda can come back. And I believe they will. They're strong people. They're good people. And, they, and I wish them luck. They really mm. love their company and their employees. Yeah, they really, really did. Uh, and then just to add to that is, with all the speculation, like Steve was saying online, don't make a judgment until you've talked to somebody who was a part of it. I'd say in general, and really be able to make that credible right. uh, opinion. And I know I put out an email to uh, both of them, and if you're listening out there, we'd love to have you on air, mostly just to talk about how wonderful you guys are, and hoping for the best for both of you. So. Let's get away from that sad news that we have, and let's go on to some happy news. We have two great interviews, uh, Wolfgang Bauer (laughs) and uh, Alex Jarabic. So those things are... Those two interviews are pretty awesome. So you guys ready to go on there? Do you have anything else to report? I do, I do want to throw out for, for news. There's a Kickstarter for Dice of Rolling. Okay. If you're new to RPGs, these dice are color-coded and help you learn how to play RPGs better. Hmm. Okay. That sounds pretty awesome, that actually. Awesome. I'm very excited. All right. Well, with that, let's go to Wolfgang. This episode has been brought to you by Vern and Wells an all-inclusive, members-only social club for geek professionals in the style of Victorian parlors of old, a space for this new breed of geek. Visit us at www.vnw.club. Vernon and Wells, Imperium in Imperio. Now to our show. Hey, geeks. We are here with very special guests. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of nerding out. I'm kind of nerding <laughs> out. This is pretty awesome. We got Wolfgang Bauer here. Wolfgang, thank you so much for coming. Oh, hey. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you on your your great rollout. You're doing a second printing, I believe, on Toma Monsters 2, 1. Toma Monsters 1 <laughs> is actually up to its third printing. Wow. It's just getting third into... Printing. I know. Okay. We've never had a third printing before. Awesome. So I'm wow. kind of geeking out and weirding out as a publisher. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, a third printing. What's happening? Uh, it's been a huge hit. That's and awesome. It's hitting this summer. And so, how are you going to follow up on that one? Oh, well. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. The first printing was way back when in July of 2016, and we've had trouble keeping it in stock. Right. So, you know, even a sort of dense publisher like myself who has to learn everything the hard way figured out that maybe there would be some appetite for a follow up book, another big book of monsters. Yeah. In fact, that was the first working title, was Big Book of Monsters 2. Nice. (laughs) 
because we always use it. It's titles. catchy. Yeah, yeah, we're never going to print that, right? right? But Tome of Beast 2 is sort of a working title. We're probably not going to use that either. Sure. But it's going to be another 300, 400 new monsters, and we're already into the wow. design phase. Very cool. It's going to be one of the things where you allow people to submit monsters? Oh, or? yeah. We did that with the first Tome <sighs> nice. of Beasts. If you backed us on the Kickstarter for a dollar, right? It didn't mm-hmm. matter. It wasn't one of these special perks like... $100 backers get to submit a monster. Right. No, no. It was anybody who backed it at all could wow. send one monster. Right? And you had to send us your best shot and we got 250 entries, maybe? Mm-hmm. But we said we were taking about 30 in the first book. And so we took about the top 10% and skimming the cream right. off of like this wild, woolly, wonderful um, like Gamers just brought their best stuff. Awesome. Right? Yeah. And I was, like, blown away by some of it. And other bits were like, oh, this is a little rough, but, you know, I hand this to an editor, and we run it through a playtest. This is going to polish up just fine. Nice. And some of those 30 monsters turned out to be gems in the book, uh, and the artists brought their stuff. And then, you know, how exciting is it if you're a a first-time designer? You get a, a very small, modest paycheck for your work, but you also get it illustrated and printed. Very cool. Yeah, I just can't. I can imagine that maybe some kid submitted a monster, and to have it printed in a picture—that's amazing. I think we tried to stick with people who are eighteen and above, so we didn't have to have their parents sign. But but, you know, Mm -hmm. we would have taken an entry from uh, a younger player, pretty Mm -hmm. much anybody, right? Uh, First timers, and. And they they really stepped up. So we're going to do that again, awesome. absolutely, because it was a lot of fun last time. And I think backers like it, even if... Is it going to be kickstarted again? Is that the, It will be kickstarted again. Oh, man, the art budget on these things. So imagine the cost of 300 pieces of art or 400 yeah. pieces of art. Um, and then the amount of development work on something as rules-heavy as that. Right. And we have a, a playtest coordinator whose job is basically just running the playtests for this, right? So... Yeah, it's got to be Kickstarter. It's not the sort of thing we can do out of pocket, especially the art budget and the printing budget. Kickstarter, Kickstarter has been great for game developers. Oh, it has fantastic. Man. Yes. In general, I mean, what I've heard a lot from a lot of people is with Kickstarter is you have these amazing projects that can come out that would have never been able to before, either because people feel like they can't find a publisher to publish their stuff, so they give up, or they're like, I don't want to take out a fifty thousand dollar loan from my bank and then end up going bankrupt or that affecting my family in some way, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's that we were talking earlier, there's game companies like, um, and this is more in the tabletop aspect of like board games, but I've seen so many huge companies do very well, like, um, uh, Stonemeyer games with yes. like, their viticulture mm-hmm. and their scythe, which was amazing and yes. stuff mm-hmm. like that, that self published or uh, red Raven where Ryan Lockett, does everything mm-hmm. I mean illustrations design mm-hmm. publisher like yeah. the rare... it's amazing if you could do everything but it's, I don't think rare, people yeah. should expect that <laughs> right, right. it's like my talent is not in illustration at all and I've known that from a very early age um, and other people like they can design the game but yeah. trying to get the a legible set of rules out of them without an editor or a developer yeah good luck right so you need i think you need a team for best success if you are one of those renaissance people who can do it all more power to you i've seen like two yeah speaking of wolfgang you you talked about you've been in this for a for a while oh yeah Um, and i know it's nightmare (laughs) (laughs) i've been a gamer for a long time i I remember in the 70s uh getting that 
first, uh, like the AD&D book, and even a little yeah. bit further where, where my friends or older brothers have the, almost like they look like pamphlets. Um, oh, yeah, the little white box yes. stuff. I never yes. had one of those. That was before my time, but they, they're neat, mm-hmm. and there are people who still play by those right. rules occasionally, right? So There's... I was just wondering, because people that don't listen to Dragon Talk, which I, I hear you a lot on, um, <laughs> sure. how'd you start out? How'd you get into this? Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of younger writers and younger game designers, I was eh, 15. I was a mm-hmm. high school freshman, and I decided to submit... Um, a Dungeons and Dragons module to Dungeon Magazine because I said, okay. "Yeah, all right, I've I've written this adventure and I'm sure it's great." And I read their guidelines and I got a stamp and it was all pre-internet and primitive. But I said, "What the heck? I will gamble. I will send them this mm-hmm. note." And I sent it north to Lake Geneva. And a few weeks later, they said, "We like your query letter. Send us the whole thing." Wow! Whoa. And I'm like, "Wow, that was easy." <laughs> I didn't realize that you know, mm-hmm. getting an acceptance on your first query is not really how it usually happens. Right. And, and I can tell the story of my second query sometime, which was not accepted. <laughs> Bitter spiral. Of, I'm a loser. I'm, I'm, what have I done wrong? Uh, but the first one they took, it was just a short piece, and um, they published it, and I had to have my parents sign the contract because oh, wow. I was underage. And, uh, and, you know, then I went to the mailbox for the very next issue, mm-hmm. figuring it would be there two months later. And I'm like, what? I'm not in it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is me learning. Oh, the publication cycle is like, you know, four right. to six months after acceptance. Yeah, they I would know. have it edited because the issue they were working on at the time I sent it, you know, that was still going to press. Is that when you, at that moment, when you did actually see it, it's like, this is what I want to get into. Yeah, I really wanted wow, to. It's cool. like, I okay. want to do these magazines. I want to do more of this. Mm-hmm. So throughout high school, I wrote a handful of pieces. Because, you know, I was mostly mm-hmm. playing. I had uh, school and other mm-hmm. things going on. And even in college, I wrote a few pieces here and there. Um, but I didn't think that it was really... I wanted to stay as a freelancer. But I wasn't really saying, like, I got to go work at the company. I don't need to right. be on staff to have fun with this. Um, so I just kept sending stuff. And then in college, my buddy Steve mm-hmm. Kurtz said, hey, have you heard? They're hiring. I'm like, oh. Are you talking about TSR's hiring? Yeah, or? TSR's hiring. Right. Okay. So the parent company for D&D needs some people. And they were hiring, I think, four designers on this, in the same time. They had mm-hmm. expanded all these campaign settings, Spelljammer, Darks, and they realized, hey, we need more people. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And they were bringing stuff in-house. So they were hiring. Um, and I... I don't know. I'm still working toward my, you know, master's degree and all these things. Okay, so you, you'd already completed your. I'd already bachelor's gotten my bachelor's in, in the in what? Oh yeah, biochemistry and genetic okay. engineering. By the way, we were mentioning that Lynn, Lynn Hardy has a bio biology or something. Yeah, she was she was a professor. A and, she, yeah. and she went to go do architecture. Right. right. Well, I mean, there, you can see the crossover right. between me scraping algae out of a carboy and like, you know, so spinning it down for mm-hmm. photosynthetic mm-hmm. compounds and sequencing DNA later. And that so your master's degree, were you working towards I didn't that? get my master's degree. But I was, what were you working on? Right? I was working on a genetic engineering Holy cow, that is quite a... Oh, yeah, I was going to... Sorry to interrupt, but that is fascinating. Okay, a whole species, a whole algae species, and be like, actually, this is all scientifically sound, too. That's right. I got to know this, though. I'm sorry, I'm going going down this rabbit hole. Go for it. So you're you're getting this uh, uh, biology degree, Mm -hmm. right? 
and and then you apply to this job. At what point did you tell your parents? I'm going to leave this. Oh, yeah. That was especially easy because my father had a, a long career in uh, x-ray crystallography uh, and in the geology department at the University of Illinois and oh, has published, man. I don't know, mm-hmm. 100 papers and 10 books wow. and is like, you know, if you are an x-ray crystallography fan, mm-hmm. then Bauer is a name that you probably cite occasionally in your papers. He's just done, you know, a lifetimes of work in it. And and so I'm like, hey, Dad, I'm quitting science, and I'm going. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Fortunately, the other side of the family, my mother's a librarian and has been a bookseller. Uh-huh. And, I mean, for many years, she was a very bookish. She's still a bookish person. I had two sides of the family. Right. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to go do it for a year or two. I'm sure I'm coming back to grad school. And I actually left the, the degree program saying, okay, hold this spot open, or right. or I'm, I'm taking a leave of absence. I'm not quitting. So did you have mom break it to dad? Or no, did you just break no, it to I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm sorry. So back on this thing, you, you sure. applied to TSR. I applied to TSR, so. and they uh, they already knew some of my work from the magazines and other things. Mm-hmm. So they asked me in. They said, "Come on up to Lake Geneva," cool. and I'm Fantastic. like, "Ooh, the town where it all happens, <laughs> the town where Gary Gygax lived." And he was already gone by the time I got there. But I was interviewed by. Uh, Ken Mohan, who mm-hmm. edited Dragon for many years, and Roger Moore and Barbara wow, Young. Roger Moore. Oh, yeah, okay. that whole That's team awesome. of like the periodicals department, yeah. they all wanted to see me. It was all of like five people at the time, right? Um, for two magazines plus Polyhedra. And they were basically like, okay, we're going to ask you some questions, going to take you out to lunch. And, you know, months later when I'd been hired, they were like, yeah, we kind of already knew we wanted to hire you based on all the writing you'd done and mm-hmm. your submissions. We were familiar with your text. Well, that helps. Right. So it's like Mm -hmm. that was kind of what really got you the job. But we wanted you out to lunch to know whether we could, you know, stand to work with you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Which is fair. Which is fair because, you know, there are people who come out of the science lab covered in algae and you don't want to work with them, right? See, I figured you'd be in front of this interview board and they'd ask you these these questions and how they, they would judge and what type of person you Oh, yeah. So no, what there were, character would you choose? There were bright okay. clean mm-hmm. lights and there were uh, well, statistical tests. What's your alignment, <laughs> uh, okay? What's your preferred weapon that you would bring to a job interview? <laughs> I wasn't like expecting it to be this hard. RPG personality tests? Yes. No, we don't do Meyer Briggs here. No. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite campaign setting and why? <laughs> Realize that the people who created these settings are in the building and you will make enemies. Oh, <laughs> uh, what? That's a trick question. What does it say about a person if you really like Tomb of Horrors? Yeah. <laughs> I do like Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So my question is to you because I am very, very familiar and really strong with more board games, but I've been getting into RPGs a lot more because I've always wanted to. But for me, it's been hard to find people, especially around my schedule, because right. I've wanted to do more sci-fi than fantasy. Oh, ah, yes, yes. <laughs> and everyone that I've spoken to that usually would be interested is usually like, it is just dandy. It is just yeah. the fantasy. So with your writing, and you've talked about that, is it the writing of the story? Is it the writing of the rule set and how everything rolls? Or is it backstory? So um, if you can go a little deeper into that, what do you mean by like when you're saying like, you know, your work in these books? Oh, okay. 
Well, like the early stuff was adventures, right? Okay. Like for Dungeon. And I still write adventures now, like uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen mm-hmm. for Wizards of the Coast, 5th edition D&D, right? Mm-hmm. And for that, a lot of what you're doing is creating a playground for the game master and the players, right? So you're you're putting out barrels of gunpowder and a dangerous trapeze set and let's put a tribe of goblins over here, and, <laughs> you know, and saying, well, that'll be entertaining. And part of what you're doing there is is sort of set dressing and you know making it easy for the game master to entertain others mm-hmm. so you're trying to keep it simple you're trying to keep it short and sweet and at the same time at the very beginning you need to have that strong adventure hook right i spend way too much time thinking about how am i starting this adventure because once i have that once i know oh you see smoke rising from the village ahead well what do you mean smoke no, like a lot of smoke. Right? <laughs> you know, as soon as I know that's the hook, and any group of players will say, oh no, right? Something's on fire. What is it? And they'll, it'll engage their curiosity, and the rest of the adventure can flow out of that. Where, where other people work differently, right? They'll say, well, I need to use these and these monsters, because I, I want them. They're part of a mini set I have, or whatever other reason, right? Everybody approaches it differently, and I don't think there's one right way to do it. Every DM has their own style, right? Every musician has their style. Every game master has their style. Every game designer has a style. So what you're trying to figure out is what do you do, what approach do you bring that you like, that like, I can bring it to the table at any convention, and I'm going to be excited to run it, and that then transfers to the people you never meet, right? Because you're just writing text on the paper, you're writing out a map, and it needs to have enough excitement on the page that they say, I'm actually going to run this one. Mm-hmm. It's a different category of writing because versus an author where there is a maybe a main character or a hero or whatever, you're it's the adventures of the hero, right? Yeah. It's, it's the yeah. players of the and hero. You don't quite know how they're going to react. Right. So you, you, don't, you don't know who they are. Right. right. You don't know them. They could be. Uh, a long-time wargaming group from the 70s. They could be kids who picked it up last week, right? Right, yeah. Um, so part of it is just simplify. I used to like get all elaborate with mm-hmm. backstories on all the NPCs. Yeah. And because I thought, well, it's like a novel and a story, and this, this character needs to have you know angst and reasons. It's like, well, they need to have reasons for why they're raiding the village. Right, yeah. But it doesn't need to be super deep. Like, okay, there's smoke and fire. Well, it's a group of trollkin. They see this village has a lot of sheep and a rich mm-hmm. tavern worth looting, right? Okay, well, that's a start. And then later, oh, their shaman actually has connections to other raiders, mm-hmm. right? And that's okay. like, okay, you can build on that. But that initial what's it all about should be should not be... Mm-hmm. 200 years ago, this village was cursed, yeah. and seven items were scattered to the winds. And you know, huh, the rod like, is seven parts. I hate the rod of seven parts. <laughs> I'll just say it right now. It's like, uh, I gotta collect seven coupons to make this artifact. I don't know. Wasn't that the sphere night? Uh, which, um, t- not TSR, Wizard of the Coast just did this thing about the rod of seven parts. Uh, oh, did they? Some RPG thing that they were doing. Uh, Oh, I think they did one of the like convention specials. Yeah, 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 yeah. like a Gen Con mm-hmm. a year or two ago. I think Chris Perkins was running it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. Well, I mean, it works well for sort of a live action yeah. adventure, and you've got certain puzzle sounds bits. cool. It sounds cool. <laughs> I think for a long term campaign, it's just like, oh, you're gonna drag me through, right? You know, 
puzzle keys. Well, you know, uh, talking about modules, I still call them modules. But anyway, this campaign, I got Horror of the Dragon Queen. Of course, I bought, so I really enjoy it. I'd like to play it or DM it. Sure. Of course, I can't really play it because I actually own it. It wouldn't be very fair. No. But uh, how did this work? Did you approach... Wizards, uh, they approach you. No, Wizards said, hey, do you have any interest in writing for us? And I said, yes, but my freelance hours are limited. And they're like, no, 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 no. We mean, do you, Cobalt Press, have any interest in doing a soup to nuts, like handing us mm-hmm. a developed module? I'm like, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there was a lot of conversation about, well, what is it? And I said, well, we have outlier or we have mm-hmm. you know we have these characters we want in it and we want it to revolve around the cult of the dragon and we want Tiamat as the finale and we want this that and the other thing I said okay well those are all great elements mm-hmm. hmm surprise surprise you guys know exactly what you're doing <laughs> that's that's great we can make that happen and then they said yeah and it's for fifth edition and the rules aren't done yet right oh and, wow okay. uh, yeah I'm like oh I know there was a hook here somewhere is that because, is did they want you to do it because they were, like, overwhelmed and they, they just they didn't were, have the ability? I don't think they were overwhelmed. They were correctly focused on finishing the Monster Manual, finishing the Player's Handbook, finishing the DMG, right? Right. That's three... That's pretty big. Big. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about the AD&D books back in the yeah. 70s. They dropped those every six months back then, right? And for 5th edition, I think they dropped them every other month or mm-hmm. for like three months in a row. They wow. came out very quickly. Now I'm forgetting the sequence. Right. But those books are gigantic. Those are the foundations of the game system. They only have so many people. And I said, who can we get to write an early adventure? They already had somebody working on the starter set, the beginner box. Mm-hmm. They were like, do an adventure for people who've been playing for a while. Both myself and Steve Winner, who was creative director at TSR and has been a staffer at Wizards for ages. I mean, we've been around with a few editions, and they're like, okay, you guys sort of understand D&D, so we're going to trust you with do an adventure. And when we said, give us the monster manual so we can choose appropriate challenges, they're like, well, you know which monsters are tough and which are easy. (laughs) So we we were working with a fluid situation early on, and it was kind of a blast design-wise. It was a huge challenge because they would send it out to playtest groups, Mm -hmm. and it would come back with, well, this is wildly unbalanced don't know what you're doing right Right. or uh and then we'd go back and say oh well i guess those monster stats changed while we weren't looking okay so so basically it's like here's an outline yeah they gave you and then you have to fill in we had to fill in everything Uh, so it's like well what's the sequence what are the locations what are the stats where are we going with it and we filled out to the point of laid out pages right we commissioned Mm -hmm. artists and cartographers and everything at every step of the way of course wizards Mm -hmm. of the coast people were checking work right because right. well this isn't the way it is in the realms or oh by the way we've we've made a rules change and so we were revising constantly wow and i'm assuming that with tiamat i mean everybody everyone who plays D knows mm-hmm. tiamat so mm-hmm. it's like they probably want to protect that character yeah. and make sure it's you know tiamat's not something that you can just push around no, and you no, know no i think anybody who's played the module will tell you that that's not the way that <laughs> encounter goes and by the way i just want to get this right what is the correct pronunciation of the opposite team is it Bamut or oh man I wish I wish I knew the correct pronunciation (laughs) I say a Bamut but I Bamut it sounds isn't it Sumerian I heard it on Dragon Talk one time went I've never said it that way that was a Bahumet yeah there see it sounds good that way yeah yeah you get the aspiration in there it sounds great um I got a quick question, too, just because you have outside just the work you've done with that in the sense of 
publishing and creating these campaigns and these modules is, is you're involved heavily in the RPG community in general. So you're part of that, um, what's it, um, Alliterates, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that... that um, Writers group. group. Yeah, yeah, National Authors. And I know you've worked on like uh, the Superstars competitions, being judges for that. So mm-hmm. tell me some about that, just, I mean, even just in the community Girl in general. Scouts, don't forget yeah, Girl the Scouts. Geek girl, geek girl Con, I think, is it? Yes. Yeah. The, the Girl Scout event was a blast. I'm going to do that again. That is awesome. Well, part of that is just as a young man i wanted to i had huge ambitions to publish stuff and i achieved them and now i've got children and i have freelancers and i have other people who are like doing the young and ambitious thing and i'm thinking about how can i help other people publish their work that's awesome so like that's why we still have an open door policy for submissions right there's still freelancer guidelines on the Mm cobalt press website so we still take queries which most third-party companies just don't, right? They work with a set stable of people. I I still go out to judge uh, competitions like the RPG Superstar stuff. Eh, It's been a couple years. Just to see who's out there and maybe scout some new talent, right? Cobalt Press is going to do another monster competition, I think, this year, later this year. So those contests are a great way to, to meet up with people who are new but doing interesting work. And then, you know, like the, the Geek Girl Scouts thing. It's like, well, there are like 12 or 13, which is about the age when I started getting involved Mm -hmm. with RPGs. And it's a great time for imagination and hanging out with your friends Mm -hmm. and beating Mm -hmm. up on goblins, right? So, Well, so empowering. I mean, not just for the Girl Scouts, but I think, like you said, you have this younger population. And the thing is, even though I haven't heavily fallen into RPGs, I've been trying different ones like a fiasco and Mm -hmm. a huge Mouse Guard book Mm -hmm. fan in general. And I've actually heard a lot about the burning wheel system that they've had in the Mouse Guard. And I've done a couple campaigns with that and I've really enjoyed that. And so I've tried, uh, I've tried different settings. I've done the end of one of the end of the world series from uh, Fantasy Flight. And so I've just been trying right now as different things to get a taste of different stuff. But me just stepping into that, oh, yeah. even me, I felt empowered, like, whoa, like, what a cool world this has been, and, like, being a part of that, and, you know, me having this, like, I love just utilizing my imagination. It's yes. me as who's just stepping in and being like, could I write something? Like, you know, Yes, and, you could. And so I want to be the guy who's like, standing oh, yeah. there saying, you know, there's no reason you can't. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it goes back to the roots of the hobby, right? This was a bunch of war gamers who said, I want to play Conan instead of just a rank-and-file bunch of pikemen, mm-hmm. right? They yeah. wanted to play characters, and they said, let's bash up some rules, right. and did. And it, we see it to this day, right? People homebrew entire campaign settings, mm-hmm. adventures, character options, um, you know, the whole starfaring campaign. It's like, I'm going to build a solar system. Okay. Well, the DMs Guild Why not? has been awesome. Yes. And people can just publish on there. It's right. Kind of wow. amazing. That's and, awesome. And I heard that uh, Wizards is looking at some of these people as maybe the next talent. I know. Although, to, to be honest, they haven't yet officially announced a whole lot of we're picking up X, right. Y, and Z. But I think they will. Are I you think. looking, maybe? I'm always looking. That's why I have that okay. open door policy. Right. Um, and that's partly why we do things like the submit a monster to the next monster manual, right? That is uh, awesome. Yeah, awesome. Because the people who do float to the top 10, 20, 30 entries, it's like, well, next time we do a book, how would you like to do 20 monsters, right? Um, mm-hmm. you got to find the new people because there are always people dropping out as well, right? Sure. Some designers have just said, I'm going and to we video games. <laughs> well, we get old. Well, we have like other priorities, right? right. Like children yeah. or, or yeah. a 
some other career that's highly demanding, and they say so people go into microbiology. Yeah, people are going <laughs> to, <laughs> to work on their microbiology, and yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. But it's this region in general, and um, just some of my some of the individuals that I know within the, the gaming industry have just talked about them trap this their travels through the United States in general. Oh yeah, um, they've said like the Seattle area, the Western Washington area, <laughs> is the biggest boom right now, and it has been for years. And yeah. they're seeing so many companies move over here. They're seeing um, new companies coming up, like the whole board game cafe aspect. Yes. You know, I've gotten spoiled with some really uh, beautiful ones or just some really nice places like here at Vernon Wells or uh, yeah. Mox Boarding House. Or, you know, there's all these really, really nice ones that yeah. I talk to people and they're just like, this isn't too. everywhere. This yeah. is literally like just here. Right. Like, you know, they're like, you're spoiled. This, what you think is kind of standard is the high end. Anywhere <laughs> else you go outside of like the state, you're going to find some, but they're not going to be too. Every city has one where it's starting to pop up. Well, we can thank uh, Wizards of the Coast Definitely. partly for that and the <laughs> magic boom. We yeah. can thank companies like Microsoft or ArenaNet with Guild Wars or uh, Nintendo's here in town. I mean, there's... Valve's, I mean, Valve's here. Uh, you name it. Privateer Press has had a lot of following with that, too. Right. I mean, Paizo's over there in Renton, right? Yeah. 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 Like, it's, mm-hmm. they're everywhere. So you're right. This is a it's a hub for all of that, and we talk to each other, right? We have a games convention. It's people a show up. Yeah. People go to one of the board game cafes, and it's like, oh look, there's Paul Peterson. He's talking about mm-hmm. his new playtest design or whatever. Awesome. Right? Well, great. Uh, or we can go to PAX and if we can get a ticket. Right. <laughs> well, we at the local convention at OrcaCon, we, we had a lot of game developers. Chris Pramus was there just, he didn't want to be bothered too much, he wanted to be a civilian, which is oh, great. Um, good so, luck, Chris. So, People will recognize <laughs> you. He, he actually had a great time. Did he? He, did. Did, he uh, did a lot of gaming um, over there and uh, wasn't on any panels, and he had a great time. Which, by the way, OrcaCon is extinct to you if you'd like to come. Ah, well, of course, I, so. of course yeah. I, I beat you to the punch this time. I I, I ran into some OrcaCon organizers at Dragonflight last Excellent. year Excellent. and said, tell me about it. And I think Cobalt Press will be there in some capacity, or I will be there trying to be a civilian Good. Uh, to come this January. Excellent. It's January 2018, right? It's the yes. off-season. Yes. When nothing else is going on, there's exactly. exactly. OrcaCon. It's uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, so a lot of oh. people have that Monday off, yeah. which can be Oh, helpful. that's nice. So is Cobalt going to be at any upcoming conventions? <clears throat> uh, yes. We were just at Origins. We ran like mm-hmm. 40 tables worth of D&D. Wow. And yeah, wow. I know. Congratulations. You got that point. That's awesome. I can't but believe it either. But you weren't there. But I wasn't there, right? And that's what's nice about, like, there's a lot of cobalt people back east. Yeah. It's easier for them to get to Columbus than it is for me. Uh, so we just did that. We just did PaizoCon before then. I, I don't think we really have anything big on the schedule. We might do Dragonflight. I don't know. Maybe. Uh We'll be at Gen Con, but without a booth. So our next really big show with a booth is going to be uh, Game Hole Con in Madison in November. Okay. And okay. Con after that. Cool. So where can we find you at Gen Con? I'm going for the first time. It's on my nerd bucket list. Oh, yeah. good. Well, yes. you Straight picked... Straight up jelly ears. Oh, my goodness. You picked the 50th anniversary I as did. your first Gen Con. I know. I know. Crazy. Oh, my. <laughs> um, it's hard to wrap your brain around this show. It's too big for me to ever, like figure it out anymore right uh 50,000 people is a lot and I'll be I'll be at the any award ceremony probably mm-hmm. uh, I might be on a couple of panels um I'll be elusive at Gen Con frankly because without a booth it's hard to find a particular person right you got like those sunglasses on and like the hat yeah the really like 
giant joke sunglasses, <laughs> right. maybe, and some cat ears. And no I want you like to know it. because... Is that Wolfgang? No, it's just some guy with glasses. And, and because we're airing you, I, I want you to know I'm going to be name-dropping you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great show. It's really big, and, and it can be overwhelming, so I guess my advice to everybody going to Gen Con for the first mm-hmm. time is build in a little time to, like, chill and mm-hmm. have a meal, because uh, it's just easy to get lost in how much is going on. If you're not going to have a booth, how's that where You should have a couple tables somewhere for... Uh, no, we're going to be running should. events. Okay, uh, okay. So, Cobalt Press has, uh, I think, more than Origin. It's like 50 tables? I have lost track. Wow, <laughs> um, okay. Run by a bunch of our game designers and, and sharpest freelancers for both uh, D&D and Pathfinder. And yeah, we try to bring new scenarios every year, plus the best of the prior years. So... Yeah, we get pretty good mm-hmm. feedback on our events, and the tickets are hard to come by, so I'd say score cool. those early if you can. Mm-hmm. We also don't mark up the tickets, so I guess we should start. <laughs> <laughs> so what we got going on uh, for the future besides the uh, the new... Besides the new books yeah. that we just shipped. Uh, Any super secret projects you want to share with us? Well, I'll so just him? mention that we, we did ship Streets of Zobek for 5th edition oh, recently, yeah. so that was a very popular... Um, scenario that we did originally for Pathfinder, but it's so dark and grim and gritty. And I'm like, yeah, that's gonna happen for for Five E. There's some. It's one of those things that Wizards would never publish because it's just too. Yeah, there's <laughs> material I wouldn't run the younger crowd through. You, let's say that you did the the what demon cults and, and the other societies. One, and the other one we've got, we've gone totally dark this month, right? If demon cults <laughs> and secret societies. I, think I know what your is alignment is. Light, okay. It's our lightweight, upbeat, friendly. Right. The cultists are also welcoming. Come right. on, join in. We've got a plot. I mean, a plan. <laughs> and they're. Uh, it's 13 societies uh, that are all totally wicked and evil from the oh, oh yeah awesome. the cult of all <laughs> flesh which is the ghouls and undead secret society because why wouldn't they have one why not um, they need a club yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the night cauldron of Chernobog which is an old Russian sort of god of darkness and murder he just wants to put out the sun what's wrong with that <laughs> as Seattleites we're all in favor of yes. putting out the Sunglasses sun are it's, so it's important right. to have priorities and goals in life That's yes so those are the two current things. Right. What's coming up yes. um, is, in addition to uh, the Tome of Beast 2 that is mm-hmm. kickstarting sometime later this year, we have we have one thing for Pathfinder coming up like this week or next, mm-hmm. which is new base classes. Okay. So if you play Pathfinder, the new Paths Compendium Kickstarter will give you 11 new classes to play. Which is a ton of work, but it's yeah, it's like been eight years of development, tons of playtests, a lot of replayability, a lot of fun in that book, and it's a hardcover. So we have high hopes for that. And then following that, we have additional adventures and more in the Deep Magic series. We've had a lot of success with Deep Magic because it's basically expanding the player's handbook spell lists for 5th edition D&D with things like elven high magic or battle magic or chaos magic or dragon magic or I can just go alphabetically here for a while yeah Um, and we have a few more coming in that series leyline magic for Midgard and then in December we drop the campaign setting which is huge and it's going to consume my entire summer Uh, the Midgard campaign setting is getting this huge update it kickstarted last year it's a dark fantasy world with some unusual races Um, 
things like bear folk, raven folk, uh, a construct wow. race called mm-hmm. the Gear Forge. So anybody who ever played Eberron will say, oh, construct, I know what that's about. <laughs> as well as elves and dwarves and humans. Yeah, it's a lot of Central and Eastern European mythos as well as some Norse notes. And yeah, dark fantasy with leyline magic is kind of it in a nutshell. It's a tighter world than it was five years ago when we first published it because... Anybody who does world building may realize your first draft of the world, mm-hmm. you think you know what's interesting about it, and then you actually play yeah. it for a while, and your players say, no, no, yeah. this thing over here is fascinating. We want to know everything there is to know about it. And this thing that you were so keen on, it might be, right? <laughs> it's the same as with yeah. adventures. Right. It's like the DM's nightmare. It's like, quit paying attention to this NPC. I want you to go here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and when you do that on the world scale, right? It's like, well, but I put this whole big thing on the map that people don't like. What do I do with it? Right. Right? (laughs) I talked about this little in an advanced world building Mm -hmm. class uh, back at PaizoCon about what do you do when you have regrets and want to change it? And I think this is where the Forgotten Realms get some of its realm-shattering events. It's like, we want to change Mm -hmm. the map. Ah, crap. How are we going to do that? (laughs) Well, (laughs) Right. We'll tweak it. <laughs> well, thank you so much yeah. for oh, coming here. Thank you very much. Thanks um, for having me. And before we go, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, or yes. what you, Twitters uh, or whatever? Twitter, at Cobalt yeah. Press. We're okay. there daily. Um, on Facebook, it's facebook.com, whack Cobalt Press. Okay. If you want just me, uh, I've got a personal account on Twitter, at Monkey King. Which Love it. I, yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm, te- I'm just warning people ahead of time. It's not all gaming. I talk science and microbiology and cyberpunk and even politics occasionally. So all right. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Wolfgang, and I hope that uh, maybe I can see you at Gen Con. Absolutely. And, uh, I certainly would love to see you at uh, OrcaCon. All right. Thanks for having me. Wow, you know, everybody told us that Wolfgang was like the nicest guy in the gaming industry, and I've... He, he really, really is. He's definitely the nicest Super guy. Nice. He's got like a 25 charisma. Yeah. And so much experience in the RPGs. It's crazy. He's been doing this for years. I, I'm throwing it out. No, I'm jumping ahead. Right. Throw it out. I, okay. I, our listeners, I just so wish you could have seen Steve. Like, Steve's been known this guy forever, like in the sense of has played his games, has looked at the modules. I've taken pictures at long distance. And I tried <laughs> to get a picture, but I couldn't. But there's this pic, but Steve is literally sitting here hugging his D&D book that, that he, that Wolfgang um, wrote the module. He's hugging there, hunched over with eyes right. wide open, mm-hmm. talking to Wolfgang. I've never seen Steve so, like, geeked out just it, it was it was for lack of a better word the cutest and, thing and i've I, seen and i guarantee you i that thing is never going on ebay <laughs> we passed down from generation <laughs> to generation it was so yeah. awesome as a tome it's, oh, you know, some people have family bibles they pass no. down <laughs> my wife's got a, a cobalt press uh, uh campaign that i'll be passing down oh it was great i just wish you could have seen it but yeah you'll but, hear it <laughs> but what do we have next guys Alex Robic, Cherry Pick Games. Cherry Pick Games, a second interview for him. Uh, we'll get to know what's going mm-hmm. on with him. So, you guys ready Funny for this dude. one? Yeah. All right, and we're off. This part of the episode is brought to you by Games Plus. From board games to role playing games to miniatures, we have something for the whole family. Come to Games Plus in Lake Stevens, Washington. Now, back to our show. Hey, nerds. 
It's me, Blue Samurai, here, and of course, we're doing our interview with our friend, our good friend, Alex Jarabic. How's it going, Alex? It's going good. I have more friends now. Yay! <laughs> you are a, you're a second-time person to the podcast, so we're Geeks of Cascadia now, but you yeah, were you, with us last time. Yeah, you've changed names, so this is a different podcast. I'll count mm-hmm. it on my little ticker. All right. Good. Make sure you like us whenever we get this thing up. Yeah. If we ever do. <laughs> soon, soon. Now, you're the creative director of Cherry Pick Games? Yeah, that's a title I gave myself. All right. That's good. Uh, my understanding, too, is you're head chef of Cherry Pick Games, too. Oh, yeah, I am. I got, uh, you know, I was listening to that last interview that we had. I just, just so amazing what you did, the, the, the oh, path I, you took, right? You went, a, a Microsoft developer... And then you decide, I'm going to be a chef, so you do culinary <laughs> arts. While you're at the culinary arts school, you're like, you know, this kind of sucks. I'm going uh, to write Catalyst. I'm going to write my own role-playing game. Now, I've got to ask you, though, one thing I didn't, I didn't get into is when you finished culinary arts school, did you just go straight into gaming, or no, did no, you the, say, I'm done with culinary the, arts The gaming school? thing was always, like, concurrent to culinary school, so okay. when I... When I quit Microsoft, I had a summer off before school started, so I wrote the majority of the Catalyst text during that. I'd wake up every morning, walk over to Joe Bar Cafe on Capitol Hill, back when I had money and could live there, uh, <laughs> and would just, yeah, write, write all day, come home, you know, transcribe it into to a, the Word document that Catalyst was at the time. Uh, and then, yeah, then I went to school and was, like, doing the playtesting and development alongside of that. Uh, the breaking point was actually a couple of years after, after I left culinary school and was in... The industry. I was a sous chef at this at the now defunct Coretto, mm-hmm. uh, which was on Broadway. It was a failing Italian restaurant <laughs> that was bought by a restaurateur who turned into another failing Italian restaurant. That's um, how it goes in restaurants. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, it was like I was working sixty-five hours a week, uh, salaried, so I was making like eight dollars an hour. Oh, I was geez. like, this is this is dumb. Uh, and so yeah, I quit and like actually drove around the country for a month and then launched the Catalyst Kickstarter. That is awesome. Cool. Yeah, and fun na- times. And now, of course, last time we, t- we talked about Drink, we talked about Catalyst. Now we've got Conspire out now. We have Conspire. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funded since then. Uh, so we did a Kickstarter campaign last n- October, November. Mm-hmm. Uh, raised $10,101.25. Right Thank you, right one on. person who did that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, yeah, it should be out in September. So okay. that's our hidden role storytelling game that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point during this podcast. When did you come up with this idea of Conspire? When did it come out? Like right after Drink, or has it always been in the background? You decide, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this uh, game now. It came out. Uh, this, is, this is a weird story. It came out a so, like, sort of, as like this thing that was gonna follow Catalyst. I guess um, we had this idea while we were writing one of the. Catalyst campaigns called Shadow Parliament, which was very conspiracy theory driven. Uh, in, in that story, you know, the players work for the Majestic Twelve and you know, are stopping the Illuminati cool. from summoning demons. Cool. And yeah, you get to throw Justin Rockefeller out of a building at some point. Uh, it's it's everything you want from a, from a story that is every conspiracy theory. But yeah, like so, Conspire. Yeah, we had this idea for kind of Roswell was always the genesis of it. Like, oh, what if you know we were all different roles in in the Roswell scene. Uh, you know, the FBI investigator, the alien, whatever, and we didn't know who's who. Mm-hmm. Kind of built from there. It also built as, like, when we were at Emerald City Comic Con doing games on demand one year, listening to some of the story gamers kind of talk about, like, extol okay. the virtues of a GM-less, dice-less, you know, story game, and 
all of that. And at the time, it was when I was running Catalyst, and it's like, that's that's not what I wrote, but <laughs> that's what I'm running out of here. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like I, I wanted to make one of those kind of like GMless, diceless games, just without the like in depth four hours with three people therapy session kind of vibe uh, <laughs> that can come out of that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the gameplay for Conspire, because it's, oh, yeah. it's, yeah. it's very... I watched one of the videos on your website, cherrypickgames.com, and <laughs> it's a great nice website. Yeah. Go Let's, check it out. Great videos. And, once again, but, for marketing purposes, <laughs> cherrypickedgames.com. <laughs> so, um, you create each other's characters together? You assign attributes? Yeah, so the, the, way, the way Conspire works uh, is we as a group uh, come up with a scene a moment in time and space that's rife with conflict and mystery. Uh, the playthrough video you'll see on the website is the during the dinosaur war of 1812, the players uh, are some human explorers that find the fountain of youth okay. and are kind of in this no-man land of the herbivores versus the carnivores. <laughs> it, it's great, wacky fun. We've done ones where we're like the Illuminati, uh, who developed the Asirum for eternal life. We also did one recently with a, a large family that had some younger kids, and the setting for that one was we were in the magic squirrel forest and there was a Cthulhu problem that we had to deal with. Gosh, I hate those Cthulhu problems. Just, just happens Cthulhu. Once in a while. Sometimes yeah. you get a call the exterminator, right? Special spray, body spray <laughs> to avoid the Cthulhu problems. Yeah, yeah. And in that game it turned out they were they were afraid of mirrors or something. Uh, but anyway, so what, we come with the scene together. That's a collaborative exercise. And then one at a time, publicly, we add roles to the scene. A character archetype we think belongs there. Okay. Uh, so the squirrel forest one was like, uh, a light squirrel wizard, a, a dark hippo wizard. Uh, yeah, it's just something like that. Um, for like the uh, the Illuminati serum of eternal life, there was like a religious zealot, a profiteer, a government bureaucrat, uh, things like that. People who, like that any character could assume. You know, it's not like you know Steve okay. the mayor. That's that's a person right. who we don't we don't know Steve, but we don't necessarily know that Steve is you know the the conservative bureaucrat. Right. Not that you are in here. No, no, not at all, not at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so and then we we shuffle those up, yes. and then you secretly give each role. So you'll mm-hmm. end up with one that maybe you're probably isn't probability wise, sure. uh, and you secretly give it three goals to achieve. Uh, the first goal is your personal goal. The second goal is a goal that conflicts with someone else. It makes their life harder in some way. In the Roswell scenario, it could be that the, the tabloid journalist wants to expose the alien, or it could be the tabloid journalist wants to like sneak f- photos of the farmer's two-headed cow. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever, yeah. whatever stuff you want right, to put in there. Right. And then the third goal makes someone's life easier. At least according to your worldview. Okay. <laughs> One of my f- favorite ones is always is like the, the religious character, like, oh yeah, get get this person in, into the folds of the church; they'll be happier there. <laughs> um, so, and then you shuffle it once more, and you end up with okay. a a role you did not write the goals for, and so you you look at it and you're like, oh, this is what someone else thought this game was going to be about, and then <laughs> you have to act out the scene as a character in that role, trying to achieve as many goals as possible. And there's no way to get your own goals, right? If you're yeah, a there's a, there's some fancy shuffling that you do. Basically, okay. you, you shuffle them, and then you hand to everyone, and you're like, is this the one you wrote goals for? And hopefully right. they say no. There's a small chance you end up with your own, but, eh, you know, whatever. Yeah. The, right, the point right. is it's more fun if it's not yours. Yeah. Sure. Um, and just so I know, who actually sets up the scene? Is it just the one person? No. It's everyone. It's everyone. Everyone, like, the way we do this at, at cons especially, or, mm-hmm. you know, in my house is I'll say like hey what kind of themes do you want to do like or setting mm-hmm. and someone might say oh I want you know sci-fi I'm like oh like dystopic future sci-fi or like space yeah. sci-fi and then it's like oh let's let's do let's do space but we're on the planet and you just kind of 
iterate down things until it's cohesive or coherent. Right. Okay. Or we, we played one with a, this group of young teens over at KublaCon this weekend. One of them wanted something that was Wild West. Uh, someone wanted, you know, a fairy kingdom and a queen of the dragons and all that. Okay. And the scene ended up being that we were in this old west town and there was a portal to the fairy dragon land that a train ran through <laughs> and we were deciding uh, who cool. owned the train. So you just throw stuff together. Everyone just throws stuff together. Yeah, you can, say, you can just it. say like a 1920s traveling carnival. Yeah. Oh, that'd be a fun scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like, yeah, trying to figure out how we're going to entertain the populace or something. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's cool. One of, my, one of my personal favorites was we were a bunch of like whiny housewives in rural I was it Louisiana mm-hmm. and the, one of the neighbor's kids had gotten a belly button ring and we were just deciding what to do about that just <laughs> we just couldn't deal with the belly button ring right and so we were just just being catty and drinking wine and it was so dumb and great uh, so yeah that's and then like the only mechanic once you're in the mm-hmm. scene you have to like act out through dialogue trying to achieve your goals there's no dice or anything the only real thing you can do other than try to persuade people is influence. You get three tokens you can spend to make anything about the universe true. And this is where, like, it gets weird and wacky and fun, and that's why the, like, duct taping of all the scenario stuff works. Is because at any point you can spend a token to be like, Mm -hmm. oh, aliens are coming down. And while you can't deny what other people say, you can twist it. You know, like, oh, the aliens are coming. Yeah, but they look like friendly puppies and everyone will love them. (laughs) Or uh, my, my example for the Serum of Eternal Life one, you know, the religious zealot in that game spent a token to say, oh, my friends, we, we cannot use this serum. It's immoral. Uh, as you know, it's made of babies. <laughs> and then I was playing the profiteer. I was like, oh, crap. I still got to sell this somehow. Uh, so I was like, yes. Uh, and as we all know, 75% of the population hates babies. It's the perfect use of our baby surplus. Well, little, little Jonathan Swift action there. Uh, like is while it is about achieving your goals and trying to get that done, it's also about telling this this story that comes out of this and about the ex, the experience of what is going on. Uh, so like, yeah, you might sacrifice a goal to make a funny moment or to just yeah. make progress and have like something magical happen. It does take under an hour. So these like oh, it's wow. just rapid oh, fire. Okay. Yeah, like mm-hmm. the thing it's it's four to twelve players and it will take under an hour for a game. Oh, okay. So oh, what do you think the age uh, what's the age requirement on, on a game like this? I would say your host should probably be at least twelve, but like like I was saying, we we played with eight year olds and it they're they're great. Oh, that's right. Um, you told me about that. These yeah. eight year olds. These uh... these eight year olds played, and the the part they had the most trouble with was writing their goals, mm-hmm. uh, which is the part adults have the most trouble with too, is writing yeah. uh, legibly. Mm-hmm. But they they really loved the, the secrecy element. Uh, there's a mechanic in the game called a sidebar, which is you can take someone literally away from the table and have a little private conversation with them. Okay. And they loved that. They were like just dragging people off, like, "Come here, I want to, you know, tell you my secret." And they they just understood the difference, the separation between character and role and player so well. And I think it's because they, uh, you know, kids are are usually the ones who don't know anything. Yeah. And yeah. to like be the ones who have their the knowledge other people don't, they just relish every Plus moment. The of the imagination yeah. factor is probably like times ten with an eight. Yeah, oh, this yeah. This, this seems a great way to fire up your kid's imagination as well. Oh yeah, it's it's just distilled imagination. It's wonderful. It's great. I highly recommend playing with kids. As someone who like, I used to be very afraid of of playing with kids, especially yeah. with Catalyst, because it's I I never know how people react to like the kind of guns and and violence sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. And I always feel like people should be more reactive of that than they are. <laughs> like I had a game with a couple twelve year olds over at Kublai Khan, and their mom was like, "Oh yeah, guns and violence is fine. It's just nothing too busty." 
<laughs> I'm like, really? I wanted to make a comment that uh, that's maybe the problem with America. No, uh, just kidding. But yeah, with Conspire, like, it doesn't have to be PG-13 or R. Right. It can be as blue as you want it to be, yeah. but it doesn't have to be. You just got to pay attention to the audience. That's yeah, or yeah. it could be as Disney as you want it to be. It could yeah. be just, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, Magic Squirrel Forest was, yeah, was Disney. Yeah. Can you say about how many players on, uh, what, how, what's the good number of players on this one? Well, so we, we, we say four to 12. Okay. Um, and I would recommend the size of your living room is the right size. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, or seven being a prime number is clearly the mm-hmm. most important number. <laughs> With four players, it, you can get in this little thing of like, if everyone picked that conflicting goal at the same person, that person is going to have a bad time. We played a game where there was a, a corrupt car, like a cr- corrupt clergyman, and everyone's like conflict goal was, you know, screw that guy over in some way. <laughs> and so at some point, we all realized this, and we're like, no. No, bro, you're not doing anything this game. <laughs> but you, usually that doesn't happen. 12 can be chaotic, and if you're inexperienced in hosting, that would be... Or you're playing with a bunch of strangers who don't know each other. That can be kind of an off-putting experience. Yeah. I would, with 12 of my like loudest friends, definitely play this game and have the big, dumb shouting match. Or, like, <laughs> we're going to have our little meeting in the kitchen now, and the four of us are going to make this weird pact that's going to win the game for us. Oh no, we came back to the table and you all made a different weird pact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, seven would be my answer. Okay. But. Very cool. And so, we're pre ordering this now, right? Yeah, it is $18, including shipping off our website. And the, the game itself, because it's a, you know, it's a story game, it's a book, a small book, uh, mm-hmm. about 100 pages that will have art in it. And that kind of defines the rules, but also the how to host. Like, the advice I would mm-hmm. give people in, in my role or whoever is leading the game. Like, the host doesn't have any special powers in the game, but everyone is going to be looking to you to be like, is that influence use okay? Like, there's a there's a thing with influence tokens that you can't deny agency. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, I can't be like, you know, Steve's dead, because that makes the game uh, two things for Steve, over and stupid. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> but, like, there's some, like, kind of edge cases where you need someone to go, like, no, let's not do that. Or But Steve could be undead. Steve could be undead. I like that. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure Steve isn't undead. He could be. Never know. I mean, yeah, you could play that and be like, I am a vampire. Um, and that might help you. So is it pretty easy to, to, for that for uh, someone to run if they've never GM'd? Oh, yeah. Um, so my friend uh, Dinah, when we launched this game, it was at uh, Big Bad Con. We launched the Kickstarter for oh, it, okay. uh, which is a story gaming convention down in San Francisco. Yeah, my friend Dinah came down with me. She watched the like Kickstarter videos on the way down mm-hmm. uh, without me asking her to. It's just like she's like, "Oh, I thought it'd be bored after five minutes, but no, I watched this entire forty-five minute playthrough <laughs> and enjoyed every moment of it." But yeah, she ran a couple uh, after playing. I think one game she ran like some sessions that went wonderfully. Oh, cool! I think yeah. the one like she the first one she did was like a millionaire like space auction where like the richest people from around the galaxy just met up to buy the most absurdist things uh, like uh, all the pants suits in the world wow um, yeah so it's it's yeah it's not like it's not, because you don't need to know numbers in a system you don't need to like yeah. have the like oh okay at level five this happens and I have to tell you that or oh, okay yeah you do you can do a five foot step and then you can do yeah. an attack action yes. and then move, like all that right. stuff is not there the door is ajar. When you're uh, when you're developing this game, mm-hmm. who do you go to for an artist? Who's the artist in this? One? The artist for this is Jake Briish. He's an artist for Drink as well. Okay. Um, and it's a little less cartoony style this time, but 
because we're not making a drinking game anymore. We're right. making a serious game about Maybe Squirrel Forest. Maybe you can Forest. combine the two? Oh, no. you can. I mean, that's the selling point of drink because you can always play with other <laughs> right. games. Yeah. Uh, at KublaCon, we were sharing a booth with Matthew Moore of Bring Your Own Book, mm-hmm. and uh, we strongly encourage playing them both at the same <laughs> wow. time. Oh, I thought because I've played that with him, and that we have to make that happen. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, it was, that was our thing. We were like, oh, knock a couple bucks that's, off if you buy right. both right now. That's got to happen soon. So this is your go-to artist at... Uh, yeah, he. Cool. I, I I love working with Jake. I liked our mm-hmm. uh, artist for Catalyst, too, Ben and Turfy. He, he got a, a job mm-hmm. after Catalyst, so I couldn't use him anymore. But no, I just enjoy working with Jake. We get along very well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love his style of this, like... Uh, SoCal stoner vibe. Yeah. Uh, we also, it, it really helps we like the same music. We both like post-hardcore, like kind mm-hmm. of screamo stuff. Yeah. So that makes jamming together really easy. <laughs> As opposed to if he was into like acoustic folk noise. Yeah. Well, getting at the sausage making of uh, game development and everything, the artist is always probably the hardest thing. I think. Oh, well, you got the game design itself, the rules, but then trying to find an artist and uh, yeah, art, art will an artist. Yeah. <laughs> Like, art yeah. is something that will prevent your game from being sold, but it's hard to make it sell on its own. Yeah. Um, like, there are some examples... Like, I think Junk Art... Or, no, Junk, Junk King. That's the name of that game. Mm-hmm. Junk King, like, had a very famous artist that kind of helped propel that through with its very unique style. Um, but, yeah, like, Jake doesn't have an audience I can rely on to fund mm-hmm. our projects. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's finding an artist, it's hard paying them fairly. Uh, and right. that's what most of like our Kickstarter goes towards is yeah. like, hey, you have a talent I cannot replicate in any right. way. I, I can put in the time to like pack up boxes and ship them and, and write yeah. things. Yeah, how'd like, you, yeah, and how'd you find Jake? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Paul. Oh, that's okay. no, no. <laughs> well, as an art, it's like people go to school and mm. they work hard for yeah. many, many years. Yes. And, and that's what makes art expensive. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of things expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, uh, and we found uh, our artist for our, our podcast logo, Brandy York. We found her at a convention of all, all places, yeah. and she's been a great friend. So, yeah, just curious how, how you ran into Jake. and uh, He was working at a pie shop with my partner at the time, uh, <laughs> and he did the window displays for that pie shop. He would, like, draw the on Oh, the wow, that's cool. pretty cool. And I was yeah. like, oh, these are really good. Do you want to make a drinking game? He said yes. <laughs> and he's actually he's actually going through like official graphic design school now. Oh, okay. So like for drink, that was great. And now he's got all this stuff like, oh, here's how we'll lay out the book, and here's all the InDesign like tips and tricks and stuff, uh, which is very helpful. Awesome. You helped a new artist out. Uh, yeah. Good job. Man. He deserves it. He actually, I think, got a job at a because of drink mm-hmm. at a company that designed beer handles, beer tap handles. Oh mm-hmm. wow! This is like summer internship. That's really cool. Yeah. So, that's cool. He's got a he's got a niche now. <laughs> well, we haven't talked much about Catalyst. Do you want to just give us a little elevator pitch on Catalyst? Catalyst is a role playing game set in an alternate <laughs> present in which demons have invaded, bringing with them war, magic, and plague. You play as one of the remaining one percent of humanity in a desperate struggle to survive. It's almost as if I've been doing this all weekend. One, one, once or twice you've yeah. done that before. So, yeah. but, but there's like four different versions. Uh, there's there's a bunch of campaigns. So okay. there's one version of yeah. Catalyst that like. And I'll, I'll, I'll do the rest of this pitch if you were coming up to me in a booth and saying, <laughs> what sets it apart from other RPGs? Uh, and I do this thing where I'm like, what RPGs do you play? And it's always like D&D, Pathfinder, and then two I've never heard of. Right. Um, yeah. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, what sets it apart from those, probably? You know, it's a contemporary setting. It is cool. super nice to be able to, to like be part of the Cascadia militia mm-hmm. and fight some demons on I-5. And also it lets your players like really get into the world. Cause yeah. I don't know what an elven water temple looks like, mm-hmm. but I certainly know what a Walmart looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, then there's no classes. Uh, when you make a character, you pick what they were before the apocalypse from this big like background. Right. It's like, oh, I was a farmer, I was a conspiracy theorist, I was a barista, whatever. And then you just spend points in anything. Like, oh, I want to throw people with my mind and be a trick shot with a gun. Mm -hmm. uh, great, you can do that. Also, no one can see all these hand gestures I'm doing of like, oh, this is, this <laughs> no, is the right yeah, people, right. this is a shotgun. Uh, if you want to watch me pantomime all that, uh, come to comedy sports. Uh, anyway, and then the final thing is cards. Everyone gets a small deck of cards representing the actions they can take in combat. At the beginning of every round of combat or a tense situation, everyone lays cards face down and they are locked into that for the turn. Uh, and it has like this simultaneous action selection thing. So we're all deciding at the same time. We can't metagame. We can't mm -hmm. be like, oh, you play that stun spell and I'll use my thing there. If they're stunned, I'll do double damage. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Uh, it's reflecting uh, the chaos of battle. So, yeah. Uh, That's cool. It's it's great. And, yeah, we had, a, we had a scene at Kublicon where two of the players were trying to like jumpstart a car mm -hmm. in this like taken over demon town. And one of the players was like in the gas station like looting it. And these demon children came in between them and were playing with a basketball. And I was like, okay, we're going to cards. And everyone played their cards. And the two people jump-starting the car, like, kept jump-starting the car. The player in the gas station flipped over attack and just stabbed one of the children. Uh, <laughs> as you do. Uh, and everyone was just yelling, what are you doing? And then it was the next, like, few turns were just this chaos of, get in the car. Leave the kids alone. Get in the car. Yeah, and it was, it, it was what would happen in that world of, like, can't talk to my guy in the gas station. Right. He thinks this is a good idea for some reason. <laughs> oh God, please, please stop! Wow. Yeah, in the characters, I, I like the fact that you don't have to. You don't. There's no classes, but yeah. you can specialize in something, or you don't have to specialize in something. Exactly. You know? I was. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, like I mentioned this last time, but I, I was really inspired by the the video game Arcanum, which is you know, a Troika game. They're the people who made the original two Fallout's, and their their system was that you could really max out anything. Uh, pretty quickly, or you could spread. And that's what we, we do in Catalyst. Uh, basically, you can get to the maximum of any one like tree by level mm -hmm. four, uh, level four or five. So that encourages people to be like, well, I could be the best at, you know, flying kick or whatever. I could be the best at melee right. and only do that. Or I could say, I'm going to usually succeed in something and diversify. Like, get a little bit of engineering or driving skill with my, you know, kick skill. Cool. Yeah. So so you were just at KublaCon. Yeah. Well, do you have any um, thoughts or feelings about KublaCon? Because we haven't been. Okay, yeah. This was uh, my first first year there. Um, it's a 3,500-person, four-day convention okay. that, mm -hmm. like, ostensibly runs 24 hours, so there's always stuff going on. Wow. Uh, they ran out the uh, large portion of the uh, SFO uh, Hyatt. So it's down in down in Barry, San Francisco, and yeah, like they ran out the the all the conference rooms. They ran out some of the actual like hotel rooms to run RPGs and story okay, games. Okay, mm -hmm. there is a lot of there's like free players and stuff. But there's a lot of focus on uh, role playing, especially, and also there was a huge wargaming section. Um, mm -hmm. So they had all the, like the giant. Here is this yeah. one hill in France, and we will all move our tiny wow. little bayoneted soldiers around for twelve <laughs> hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so like I went down with uh, with Matthew Moore of Bring Your Own Book and uh, Keith Liker, who is uh, going to be kickstarting the Lost Age, which I think debuted at OrcaCon last year. So the three of us split a booth, and also driving responsibilities because driving yeah. to San Francisco is uh, about fifteen hours. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. it's a trip. Uh, it's a, it's a it's an epic adventure where <laughs> you have to be friends with the people in your car. So you bring a trailer with all your guys' stuff. We loaded up the trunk and uh, the fourth seat pretty well. <laughs> it was it was a tight fit, and on the mm. way down, you were we were like legs over the banner in the back. Oh, boy. Plus, you had the, the bring your own bookshelves thing. Yeah, that's actually surprisingly not big. The oh, little, okay, like, yeah. Matthew's backpack of, <laughs> that is a bookshelf. 
the, oh, but walking next to him is so frustrating when you're like, hey, let's go do this thing. He just gets stopped every five yeah, seconds. Uh, yeah. like, yes, it's a bookshelf. <laughs> it's books. Cool. Nerds. Um, anyway, yeah, so, so Kublai Khan, uh, they had a dealer's hall that we were in most of the time, and then we ran our own mm-hmm. games periodically. Uh, from our perspective, like despite there being 3,500 people there, mm-hmm. I, I would say under 1,000 ever came in that dealer's hall. Okay. And it was like a it was a big open area. Mm-hmm. Like there were a lot of vendors shell- selling the like, you know, kind of tchotchke stuff of like, oh, here's a Darth Vader coaster or whatever. But there were also a lot of a couple game stores and a few mm-hmm. game developers like us that were doing demos. The the Dice of Crowns people were there. I think they, like they're Seattle based. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I got it. Uh, thing 1 2 or is it Thing 12? I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, and then there, there are a couple other people. So I don't think people realize we were doing, like, pickup games in there or they like, could try stuff out. Okay. Like, it was kind of like a... It was hard for them to know. Or they were just so, like, I will play these role-playing games and do that. Yeah. And nothing okay. else. Also, the way they, they did their online... They did online scheduling. They had a thing mm-hmm. called the Shuffler, and it really encouraged everyone to sign up early. Okay. But what we found was late games or games on Sunday and Monday, no one showed up to. Oh, because they like they had to they have to get space in this game before it right, fills up, right. and then when you're like, mm, man, it's Sunday at six, I'm tired and hungry. Yeah, yeah. I will just ditch this game. Yeah. So like there were a few times where I think almost every game I ran, uh, most of my players didn't show up, and then there were people like, hey, is there still space? Cool. Uh, so it worked mm-hmm. out. Great. But it was good. Just, good. It was weird, except for like my Monday yeah. one conspire game where one person showed up uh, out of, like, the eight slots. Oh, no. So as the independent uh, developer and mm-hmm. an indie game guy, your life is probably a lot on the road. Is it not? I mean, you're doing a lot of conventions. I feel like I'm doing more this year. Yeah, it's funny because I, I want to go to more, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a concern of payoff. Like, we did Wagon Con earlier this month, which was a very small convention in the Dalles. I was watching. I, I, I like them on the internets. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching the photos and the comments, and it looked like it was lots of fun. Yeah, for some reason, I, I they swear they never told me this, uh, that I was under the impression it was about 300 people, and it was actually about 100. Oh, okay. Um, oh, wow. We okay. Were, there were supposed to be more game developers there, but most of them backed out last minute to go to, uh, I think it was GameStorm in Portland. That's too bad. So right. we were the only ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which... Was fine. I, I sold to about eleven percent of that con. Sold the ball. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only ball. Um, and it was fine. Like it was fun. It was fine. We we paid for our hotel room and the con mm-hmm. registration and the gas, I guess. But it's also like, yeah, I have to be on the road, and it's not. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's all a test. Yeah, like it's all. And it's just you, right? It's just you trying to go. Okay, I gotta, I gotta push drink. I gotta push conspire, and I gotta push catalyst. I gotta push all that. I usually bring someone else. Uh, like for the Dallas, mm-hmm. I brought uh, my girlfriend Heather, and that was fun. And then going down for Kublacon and teaming up with other game developers, it's it's really hard to do it alone because you're like, I have to go to the bathroom now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or yeah, yeah. I have, I want to run a game that's mm-hmm. not like. I mean, this kept happening at Kublacon where, mm-hmm. where de- the dealer hall hours was like ten to six most days, although it, it wasn't on Friday and Monday for reasons. <laughs> so like, oh, ten to six, and then I have a Catalyst game afterwards that's four hours, and so I need to just like die by the end of the day. I yeah. guess. So so Alex, it sounds like these cons are our work. It's yeah. not. It's not. You don't get to. Do you get to have any fun time I, at all? I, I literally didn't play anyone else's game other than <laughs> other than bring your own book at Kublai Khan. I wanted to, but uh-huh. yeah, at the end of the day, I'm not like 
oh, it's it's 10 p.m. on Friday. Let's uh, let's instead of going back and getting our six hours of sleep on, <laughs> on my friend Nathan's <laughs> studio apartment floor, let's right. let's go play some other game. <laughs> let's go play a six-hour LARP about right. touching. Why not? Yeah, I some people I know some people go to cons to just play other people's games. Some developers, um, like Carolyn Hobbs of uh, Less Than Three Games, she, mm-hmm. she made Downfall, wonderful story game. But I remember, like at some point, like, hey, if you ever want to like split a booth at a con, she's like, no, I know I don't want to sell my games at cons. I just want to go to play other things. Wow, okay, which is an attitude. Wow. I respect yeah. it. Yeah, I, I mean, I was about to make a joke. I want to make money, but yeah, <laughs> like I, I wrote, I wrote these games not because like I have to write games, but right. because I want to share these experiences with people, mm-hmm. and I, I do feel that people will have fun playing these things. Yeah. Like, I want you to play conspire and have a good time and laugh and, and all that. And I want to give you the tools to do that on your own when I leave. So please, please give me the, the reasonable amount of money for this tiny book. Yes. Yeah, and we will. Right. Then you can do that, <laughs> well, we and then were, I can keep making tiny books. And of course, you know we do OrcaCon, and um, the last OrcaCon we went to, there was a little combination of those like yourself coming down and just, hey, I'm gonna, I got, gotta work. I'm gonna demo this, and then there were a few like uh, Chris Premis who you go up to is like, hey, I'm just a civilian today. Yep. I'm just a civilian. Yeah, I just want to have fun, man. I just want to have fun. <laughs> it, was good. it was good to see that. It was yeah. good to see that. I uh, I try to have my fun not at conventions because like I I think also there's some people go to conventions to to like meet people or to play play games they can't otherwise play. Yeah. Um, I I really like my friends. Um, mm-hmm. I actually host a bi-weekly board game night at Ravenna Brewing Company oh. in Seattle. Oh, that's cool. Right. Yeah, and I've, I've cultivated it to where it's about a dozen people or more show up every time. Mm-hmm. It's people who I, I didn't know beforehand, but mm-hmm. like our, our mission goal is to make a very inclusive community. Cool. Um, actually, last night, one of the guys took me aside and was mm-hmm. like, you know, hey, I'm like a recovering, you know, agoraphobic, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really antisocial, and thank you for making such a welcoming place. Awesome. Wow. Awesome. That's awesome. awesome. What do you guys play? I think last night we, we started with some Pandemic, then we played uh, we played some Sheriff of Nottingham, we played some Secret Hitler. You know, like, people bring whatever they want. I, oh, okay. I bring about 20 games. We, we usually do, like, Spyfall code names, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Played some Suburbia last night, which I love that game. Cool. Gets my SimCity fix. <laughs> yeah, like, it, we usually don't play, t- like, too hard of games or, like, anything that takes a while. It's all about, like, hey, can we fit 10 people in and play something silly and quick? Cool. So you get your gaming fix. That's good. That's uh, yeah. Good. No, I, I get I get that uh, at a bar. I can drink at. Yeah. And you awesome. uh, you going to OrcaCon? I am going to OrcaCon. Excellent. We're going to OrcaCon. <laughs> yes. Weird. Well, that's because we have to be <laughs> yeah. at OrcaCon. Yes. For us, yeah. that's work, but we it's fun too. Oh, it's, well, fun yeah. too. It's, it's it's the same. I think it's the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm excited to go. Um, mm-hmm. I do I do like the demo table thing at OrcaCon. Oh, good. Okay. Um, it is it is nice because then it, there's an expectation of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would love to just be there all day and like you know really advertise like the like drop in like hey maybe sign up for these times and like right. more ad hocness. Yeah. Because uh, I I love the online schedule to plan your mm-hmm. day, but I almost am always worried that it, like people do exactly what they did at KublaCon, which is they fill up their entire weekend before right. they start. Yeah. And then they have very regrettable like choices they make like oh I can either game for the 24 hours straight I signed up for or just ditch yeah so, uh, is your plan is to uh, do the whole time just demoing um, I mean are you gonna cut it off at a certain time like it depends it depends on what, what the con lets me do oh okay yeah. alright uh, yeah. okay. my my ideal thing if, if I like and I don't I don't know from your perspective mm-hmm. as, as con organizers or, or Donna's perspective what is what is your like need from people like me mm-hmm. like I would love to just run games 
like during the main day and mm-hmm. then have like a big scheduled one like the four hour catalyst game mm-hmm. oh, yeah. after that um, that would be my personal joy also being able to to sell is always nice like uh, last year around the table did our sales mm-hmm. through commission uh-huh. um, which is which is nice of them and I appreciate that service it also does mean I make half as much to be perfectly honest yeah, and right. there's also like the retention problem of oh hey you like me talking about drink okay we'll go around this corner around this hallway in here and talk to this man and you remember that right as opposed right, to right. Just be like mm, box right right, right. <laughs> buy, buy this box right yeah, now yeah. <laughs> shiny shiny and then I also if, like doing it myself mm-hmm. and be like oh you're on the fence ooh it's $15 now how about that right <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. No, we'll buy these two things can. together yeah. it'll be free now, yep. you also um, had a special through Amazon that benefited yes through ACLU am yeah. I remembering that right yeah we did that yeah I just wanted I wanted to do that that was cool that was yeah. really cool that sounds cool yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish I could do that kind of stuff more yeah you gotta eat though I got well <laughs> also like Amazon has a thing where if you have a sale like basically if I want to make drink which is $21 MSRP and I want it to be you know on sale for 15 whenever they sell a copy I pay $6 so okay. like Instead, you know, and then they've like bought my copies for ten. So basically, I'm bu- mm-hmm. they're buying them for four. Then it's not like a proportional mm-hmm. amount. Yeah. Also, the weirdest thing and why I really don't want to do it more is that with Amazon, if someone else buys one of my products that is from another seller, uh-huh. I still pay. Oh, right. That's, that's no. That's weird, isn't no. it? Like, wow. so yeah, if you if, like, oh, drinks on sale. Okay, we'll buy it from this other person, and then I have to pay for your. St- yeah, I. Okay. That's. I don't like that. No, no. I think it's my my that's wow. my hot take on that. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, wow. that's weird. Amazon is a knife that cuts two ways. So uh, where can people find you? Uh, you got Twitter. You I got Facebooks. Uh, they can go to that website. Where you can pimp yourself out, right? Now. Well, that was what cherrypickedgames.com. Cherrypickedgames.com. Uh, Facebook cherry picked games. Mm-hmm. The Twitter because that doesn't fit in the character limit is <laughs> cherry p i k d games. Uh, or if you search cherry pick games, I'm sure that comes up. And then we have an Instagram which has underscores in between those words. So cherry pick games. Uh, I don't know why the first one was taken, but you can find us all on that. Yeah, just message us on those things and we'll get back to you about whatever. Just find us at cons. Invite us to your con if you run a con. Well, you'll yeah. be at OrcaCon. I will be at OrcaCon. <laughs> Speaking of, are there any other cons between now and um, OrcaCon? Yeah. I feel like I'm looking into one in August that's in Arizona, but that's not for sure yet. The next one I'm going to is Shucks, the Shut Up and Sit Down Expo in Vancouver, mm-hmm. uh, Canada. And then Big Bad Con is okay. a week later in San Francisco. I might be doing PAX Unplugged in Boston, which... Mm-hmm. I mean, if I really feel like driving out to Boston. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a long drive. It's a, it's a bit of a hike. Yeah. Uh, I think those are all that I've got so far. But Gen Con or PAX West? Oh, PAX West. I'll, I'll be at, but I, it'll be through Games on Demand. So okay. I'll be, I'll be running pickup games of Conspire and Catalyst uh, on the third story. If it's anything like last year, doing that, you just Games on Demand is a wonderful service to like play indie role-playing games and story games. Uh, they mm-hmm. basically check out a facilitator, much like you check out a board game at a at a library, and then they run a game for you. Okay, uh, so cool. I'll be doing that. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Alex. Thanks Thank for so uh, being on our podcast. Appreciate that. And 
I hope that uh, when you come to OrcaCon, maybe we can carve out some time, maybe the late hours, maybe we can do something. I don't we know. should do something. We, we should, should do something. We should, uh, we should get some other game developers and have oh, them play party. something completely be different great. and fun. We should do that. I would love <laughs> I would love that. Uh, let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Cool. Thank you so much, geeks. Thank you. Hey, that was a great interview by Alex. Alex is always great. Alex is great to talk to. Very funny fella. So uh, what else is going on with uh, Alex? Well, with Alex, just want to let you know he is having a sale on his on his game drink. Um, if you go to the website, cherrypickedgames.com, and put in the promo code FIREWORKS, you get 20% off his drink game. Oh, all right. It's a good deal. It's a good thing to do on a... Yeah, it'll be fun. Also, mm-hmm. just thanks, um, our listeners, for listening to our Director's Cut Special Edition Extended Edition. It was a little edition. long. <laughs> it, was, it was long, and so I just also want to make the point that this isn't the norm for us to have these long episodes, but... Right. Um, we couldn't. We just couldn't get enough of watching Steve hardcore geek out with Wolfgang. So uh, we had that long interview. And honestly, like we were saying earlier, he is just the nicest guy. And so it was he just nice. just a joy. And we didn't want to awesome. short. We didn't want to short that um, that time for you listeners either. Right. And uh, we're gonna have some great interviews in the future. So stay tuned. Um, Geeks of Cascadia is just rolling. We're on fire. Mm-hmm. So Sub- oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say so. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, tell your friends, share the link, and you know the. And if you really cool. like us, um, give us a rating and review us on iTunes because yep. that really helps move us up the charts. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you have any questions, please email us at geeksofcascadia at gmail.com. So with that, I say embrace the nerd, and I hope you make that saving throw. Cascadia podcast featuring Steve Hobbs, Paul Anderson, and Joe Costa. This podcast is brought to you by OrcaCon.